Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm Brian Jewell. I am your host, and I am really happy that you decided to spend some time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, today we have a featured interview with Jay Smith of Sports Travel and Tours. Uh, We are going to talk about sports and the role that they can play in group travel, but this is not just a conversation about sports. Uh, We're going to talk about how Jay found his place in travel and built a niche in a place where uh, there really wasn't one before and how you can too. So you are not going to want to miss that conversation. But first, let's get into some travel news you may have missed. Now, this has been a record-breaking wave season in the cruise industry. Uh, Travel Weekly recently reported that the cruise industry is setting new records during wave season, the period of aggressive sales and promotion that typically takes place from January to March. Royal Caribbean, for instance, said that it has had seven of its all-time top sales weeks since November of 2022, with high volumes of passenger bookings at higher than normal prices. Now, another company, Viking, said 18 of its all-time top 20 booking days happened in January of this year, and that includes the best sales day in its entire history. Uh, Cruise Planners, a large cruise booking agency, said its January bookings were 81% higher than the same period in 2019. Now, prices are increasing at many cruise lines for itineraries both in North America and further abroad. And while some of that price increase is due to inflation, the high demand for cruise experience is also giving lines an opportunity to recoup some of the billions of dollars they lost during the pandemic. Well, now it's time for the road tip segment of our show. This is the part of every episode where we dig into our bag of travel knowledge and share some tips that we have picked up over the years that we think are going to help you make your next trip smoother and better for you and maybe for your customers. You know, I remember a few years ago, I was on one of these trips where uh, I was in a different hotel every night for uh, four or five nights or something like that. And around about the third or the fourth night of the trip, I got home at the end of the day, got back to the hotel after dinner and uh, went up to my room, stuck my key in the slot and nothing happened. So I tried it again. I wiggled it, gave it three or four attempts and nothing happened. I could not get into the hotel room. So I did what many of you have probably done in a time when your hotel key didn't work. I trudged my way back to the elevator, back down to the lobby, back to the front desk with a little bit of an attitude ready to give the hotel clerk a piece of my mind about why my key had stopped working. Well, I went to the desk and I told them what was going on. And the, the clerk said, sure thing, Mr. Jewell, what's your room number? And I told him and he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Jewell, that is not your room. And that's when it dawned on me. The room I had gone to was the number of my room from the previous hotel, the previous night. It was not the room I was staying in at that hotel. So obviously I had a little bit of egg on my face and felt bad for the attitude that I had been cooking up on my way down to see the clerk. But it also taught me an important lesson, which is that I need to have a way of remembering what room I'm in, especially on one of these trips when I'm moving hotels a lot. Forgetting room number is it's not usually a crisis, but it can be a big pain, especially if it happens at an inconvenient moment, maybe late at night when you're tired, maybe when you're in a hurry 
on your way to get somewhere. That's not something what you want to have happen. So you have a couple of options. Uh, one thing you can do is carry around that little key packet that you get at the front desk uh, when you check in. But I don't like that because I think it's actually a bit of a security risk. You see, usually that little packet, it has your at least your last name on it. Uh, it has your room number and it usually has the name of the hotel. And what that means is uh, that if that key packet for some reason gets lost or stolen, anyone who comes across it, well, they know where you're staying. They know what your room number is and they know what your last name is. And that uh, makes you vulnerable to a number of uh, security and safety things that uh, you would rather not have happen. So instead of carrying that packet around, I prefer to make a note of my room number somewhere on my phone because uh, I may forget my room number, but hopefully I will not forget my phone when I'm traveling. Now, there's a bunch of different ways you can do this. I usually just open a note on my notes app and type the number as the title of the note. I didn't don't put the name of the hotel in case somebody finds my phone so they would you know, know what hotel I'm at and what room. Uh, I just write the number of the room. And uh, that's been a helpful reminder in a couple other situations where I started to second guess what room I was actually in. Now, if you don't like your notes app, you could do something like email your room number to yourself. Uh, I have found this really helpful because I'm always confident that I know which room I'm supposed to be in, especially as I said, if it's one of those trips that we all find ourselves in sometimes where you're moving from hotel to hotel to hotel. You don't want to be in that situation I was in where you're trying to get into the wrong room. So that's your tip for today. Use your phone to keep track of your room number. Save yourself some hassle at night. Now, before we move on, I want to share a little bit of news from us. Now, you may or may not know that in our magazine, The Group Travel Leader, every March, we publish a really cool project called the U.S. Civil Rights Trail Travel Guide. Now, this is a project we do in cooperation with the U.S. Civil Rights Trail, uh, which is a collection of more than 130 sites around the country that have a prominent and interesting and really significant civil rights history. Now, uh, if you get the group travel leader, you probably are going to receive that issue of the magazine in your mailbox really soon. If you don't subscribe and print, though, I don't want you to miss this cool resource and all the amazing stories we have to tell in this magazine. So here's what you can do. You can open your computer or your phone and go to grouptravelleader.com slash civil rights. And that will take you to a page where you can read every article. That is part of that section. You can even flip through, see what it looks like in print. And uh, you are going to find this resource is going to be an amazing way for you to follow along on the Civil Rights Trail and learn the stories uh, that really, really did make a monumental impact on the United States. And you can find ways that you can share that with your travelers too. grouptravelleader.com slash civil rights. I will put that in the show notes for you to make it easy for you to find no matter when you need it. All right. Well, it's just about time for us to move in to our featured conversation with Jay Smith. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, even if you are not a sports fan, this is a conversation you're going to want to hear. Now, full disclosure, I'm not all that into sports. It just doesn't interest me a whole lot. But I recognize the value of sports travel and I recognize how cool it is that there are companies out there that are serving people in really specific interest groups and really specific niches. So even if sports aren't your thing, I think you are going to learn a lot from this conversation. I think it's going to give you some ideas about how you can find your people 
and your cool ways that you can give them the thrill of a lifetime in whatever area of interest they care about and you care about. So don't skip this interview just because it's about sports, because here's the thing. It's not just about sports and I don't want you to miss it. The second thing I want to tell you is that you really want to hang around to the end of this interview, because after we're done talking with Jay, I'm going to come back and share some thoughts with you about the third anniversary of the COVID shutdown. Now, I don't know if you have noticed, but uh, this episode drops on March 15th, which is three years to the day since the U.S. economy started shutting down because of the pandemic. And of course, now looking back on it with a little bit of perspective, well, I have some thoughts and those are going to be the topic of today's hot minute. And we're going to get into that right after we wrap things up with Jay. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Jay Smith. All right, everybody. My guest today is a veteran of the travel industry who has been leading people on trips since 1974. He's the founder of Sports Travel and Tours, a full-service sports travel company taking travelers to major sporting events, regular season games, playoffs, and Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremonies. Jay Smith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, we are so happy to have you here. 1974, that is a long time in travel. I'd love to hear a little bit of the story about how you got started and, and how you got to sports because you didn't start with sports, right? No, I didn't at all. And actually, 1974 makes me seem, feel or hear <laughs> for the listeners <laughs> really old. Um, it actually was 1974 and it was really by um, it was really by default. Uh, my My initial entree into this business was at a time that was even before that. And it was at a time that I didn't even know I was going into this industry. And I was in high school. This was a high school story. I was in 11th grade. We had, there were a lot of people who got tickets to a Jethro Tull concert. And there were many people who couldn't drive yet. And the ones that could drive didn't want to drive. <laughs> For a variety of reasons. Um, so I ended up, I don't know what possessed me, but I rented a school bus and I went around the cafeteria with a hat and I asked everybody for five bucks for transportation to and from the concert. And I asked everybody as well. I don't know how I knew this, but I asked everybody for an extra dollar for the bus driver. Mm. And we filled the bus. Wow. And we went to this concert and on the way back, everybody was, of course, starving and I ended up giving the, the tip to the driver before we got on the bus on the way out of the concert and said, we really are going to want to get stopped for something to eat. What do you think if we pull over to McDonald's or something? So he did indeed took us to a McDonald's. We all chowed down. Everybody went home. The trip was a success. And that was it. That was my, my travel story. And then roll the clock, you know, a few years later, um, I was majoring in criminal justice and I actually went home for the story is I went home for a holiday in March. I met up with a friend of mine, my birthday's in March. He wanted me to go out for a beer and I was sitting at the bar and next to me was a, a guy who was also in college and he was started telling me about these camping trips that he takes cross country. And I said, oh, my God, that sounds freaking awesome. I would love to do something like that. Do you think they have any space left? And he said, you know, I, I don't think so, because it's already March. They're planned out for the summer. But give me your number where you're going to be tomorrow. And I'll, 
surely reach out and see if they have any spaces left. And lo and behold, the next day he called and he said, believe it or not, they have two spaces left. So I called up, got the interview, went in, they hired me, and I went on an eight-week all-bus cross-country camping trip with 50 students. Wow. That was my beginning in 1974. So I wasn't really operating any companies at that point. This company and this concept really, for me, did not happen until um, it was born actually in 1990. That was the first, uh, first sports travel company that I formed. And that actually was, Brian, a, a, a call from a, um, a friend of a friend. So he asked me, he said, do you think you can combine going to games and events along with going on vacation, combining the travel and, and, the, and, and the events at the same time? So roll the clock forward. I developed three programs. We put them together. I actually booked them all it was an East Coast program, a Midwest program, and a West Coast program. It was wrapped around actually going to different ballparks. And sports travel at that time was born. That's how it yeah. happened. It was, a, it was a quick conversation, development of three programs. We ran with it. In the first year, we ended up with three trips. We had 99 people, and wow. the rest pretty much is history. So I've got lots of questions uh, about that. I think my first question is as a sports fan in 2022, I think a lot of people think, well, if I, if I really want to go to the Super Bowl, I can find tickets online. You know, I might pay through the nose for them, but I can find them. Uh, I know how to book a hotel room. I know, you know, I mean, I've traveled before. So what is it that draws a sports traveler to a packaged product instead of just clicking around online and putting it together themselves? That's a great question. Um, there's a few, a few good reasons for that. One is you want to make sure if you're spending that kind of money that it's going to be fulfilled. Mm. And everybody, uh, there is a ticket agency out there that everybody knows. There was a Super Bowl in Arizona a number of years ago, and they had 1,200 people that they did not fulfill tickets for. They just wow. didn't have the inventory. They took the orders and didn't have the inventory. Um, and if you spent good money to go there and then you couldn't get a ticket to the game, they did indeed refund everybody, but you already spent the money to go there and then you didn't have a ticket. Hmm. So there's two things, a few things that I would, I would answer and comment that is one is, um, having somebody in back of you who can get it done. If there's any problems, um, ticket wise, I have in my whole lifetime, we've been doing this now, this company is incorporated in 1996, and we have not ever not fulfilled on a ticket to any program that we've ever delivered. The second piece to it is hotel-wise. If you are booking, if you're doing it on your own, like you're suggesting, and you do it on one of the you know, hotel.coms or whatever it is, if you get to that hotel at 10 o'clock at night and they're overbooked, you're going to get bumped and go out and put it a hotel an hour away. Mm. And, uh, you know, let's say you booked a Marriott, you're going to get bumped and you're going to go to a day's in somewhere out in God forsaken, who knows where yeah. you, you're going to get a cab or Uber and they're going to get you out there to house you for the night, but you're going to get bumped. If you're pack, if you're traveling with us or another tour company, they know we're bringing people back. You're only going to be one up. You're going to travel once. You're not coming back to that hotel. 
So if they're going to bump anybody, they're going to bump you before they're going to bump one of my customers mm. because we're a repeat business for that particular hotel or that particular hotel chain. So you could indeed book things on your own to answer your question. And, and my normal line to that when people throw that out to me is you can book it all on your own or you can use us and and generally pay the same price as if you were doing it on your own. Mm. But we do all the work for you. And we do a lot of custom packages for even the big major events. Like you said, the Super Bowl is an example. You don't really need one of my tour hosts at the Super Bowl going, hey, Brian, we're going to have a great time together when you show up. You just want to make sure everything is taken care of. So, you know, for us, the packaging part, it's one stop, one shop. You know it's going to be taken care of. There's somebody in back of you if there's an issue or a problem. And the big issue right now, too, is is also tickets because a lot of mm. these tickets are now electronic. So if you buy off of a ticket broker or a ticket exchange, you run the risk of having that same ticket. It could possibly be transferred and sold three times, five times. You ever get yeah. a Ticketmaster ticket that has a barcode on it? Yeah. Whoever gets into that entrance first wins mm. that that barcode on that ticket on that either hard ticket or you keep it on your phone you go in it could have been already somebody could have come five times already and and mm. if you're you're last online you're not getting in and that does indeed happen yeah so you mentioned the super bowl uh tell me what are some of your other sort of top sellers in the sports space well, you know, it's kind of runs into a cycle. Every few years, there's another event or something comes up. You know, obviously, everybody's seen the World Cup just recently. So that tends to sometimes be big in a given year. But, the, you know, Kentucky Derby is on everybody, most people's bucket lists. The Final Four is a good one for college basketball fans. They tend to want to go, you know, to something of that nature. We actually found, Brian, a niche within the niche. So what I did years ago... When I realized this 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 niche of the business of sports and travel, there's numerous colleagues of mine who are in this business. We all know one another. We buy and sell product from one another. We're aware of who everybody is. I ended up going out and saying, you know what, instead of competing head to head with 10 other companies, I'm going to find programs and product that everybody else doesn't offer. Mm. And that way, I'm running my own programs. I may, I may only send 50 people to a Kentucky Derby instead of 450 people, but I'm sending thousands of people to my own other product line that doesn't have the same competitive level. So we also do a very heavy percentage of um, Hall of Fame enshrinement and induction programs. People want to see mm -hmm. their favorite player get inducted into the Football Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame. We are the official licensed travel company of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, so that's a big program for us. And in a given year, we may end up running 800, 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 people. So we'll, we'll have 20, 25 buses wow. at some of these other smaller events. And then we also have a real, uh, our biggest following is for our, what we call our baseball road trips. And those are three to 10 day packages that get to every ballpark in the country. There's a lot of people who are baseball fans and their goal in life is to get to every, every ballpark in the country. And we fulfill on that. We actually, in conjunction with the hall of fame, we created a cool program. It's almost like a little frequent flyer program. 
called the Stadium Hall of Fame. And we, uh, we issue a passport, an uh, actual passport, before people travel with us the first time. And every time somebody goes to a different ballpark with us, we authenticate that visit in their passport with a sticker. Mm. And once they complete the circuit, we actually invite them to Cooperstown on induction mm. weekend. And, and the ceremony for induction weekend is on Sunday. On Saturday of induction weekend, we actually have a ceremony at the Hall of Fame. We just did one last year. We do it every four years. This past year, we had 22 people inducted. Uh, and we have an induction ceremony. We give them a plaque. They get a moment in the sun to make a little speech. Um, it's really kind of cool. And then we also have a book that's at the Hall of Fame that we create a profile of that traveler. And that profile stays at the Hall of Fame in their archives. Wow. So on these 10-day trips or the, the trips in that range, tell us what an average day looks like. I assume you're, you're going to tour a ballpark. You might see a game. Are you doing other travel experiences as well? We are. You know, we combine kind of the sports flair along with, uh, depending on the city that we're in, we will indeed add in the typical normal, um, you know, tour and travel uh, sights and sounds of that particular city. So let's say, as an example, we're taking a trip that does, we have one trip called, a, um, this year it's called the Central Rivalries. It's a trip that does uh, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Chicago, St. Louis, and Kansas City. It's kind of a little arc. And uh, so let's use St. Louis as an example. We'll have the trip come into town. We stay right down uh, near the ballpark downtown. But we will also, other than having a stadium tour, we also will include in the St. Louis Arch. So for anybody who hasn't been to St. Louis, you know, logically what they would like to go see, since you can see it when you pull in, is we set that up in advance and people get to the arch. So depending on the city that we're in, we do add in extra activities, extra regular attractions. You know, if we're in L.A. or Anaheim, we might put in Catalina Island, the, the you know, the Space Needle up in Seattle or Toronto, um, you know, the CN Tower will add that type of a mix uh, of an attraction in. So it really just depends on where we are. Yeah. And then we do add in other sports um, activities and sports flair to all of these programs, whether it be stadium tours or we have one program which we love. It's called um, an Upside View. And what that is, is we actually have a retired umpire who was down on the field for 26 years, has a ton of stories, different games. You know, has been on the field for Nolan Ryan's uh, no-hitter. Mm. He tells stories, and it's wonderful to hear a sport from an ump's perspective, which nobody ever really thinks about. Yeah. So it would seem to me that uh, the kind of people who are signing up for sports tours uh, have a lot of things in common. Uh, obviously, if they're, you know, going to go on a, a long trip to see ballparks or something like that. What can you tell me about sort of your typical customer profile? Are there certain demographic boxes that they fit in or is it more diverse than I might think? It's extremely diverse. Um, obviously, there's one area that's not as diverse. There's obviously an economic level, you know, that you've got to hit in order to be able to afford to travel on these programs. But we do get people interesting enough. Um, you know, we've got a number of people who traveled with us. Not necessarily, we have some people, people have been with us for you know, 10, 15, 20. I've got a number of people who've been up upwards of 30 programs with us, which is unheard of. And even the big Globuses and top tours and things of that nature, they don't get people coming back for 25, 30 trips. Right. 
we have, do have some people, though, that they, you know, we've got one guy, he saves every year. He's been on three trips with us. He saves, he saves up for 10 years. He saves so much a year. He loves going on these programs. And once he gets to the ninth or 10th year, he's got enough saved. He might not be able to afford it year in and year out. Um, it's still, you know, a costly venture. Programs generally run, uh, you know, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000. And we've got some longer ones that, you know, three and $4,000 and up, mm-hmm. depending on, depending on, you know, where you want to be. So our demos are really all over. I mean, we get people from literally, you know, eight to 80 and all in between. Mm-hmm. We get, we've got, um, you know, families, we get singles, uh, we get men, we get women. Some of our programs actually have more women, single women than mm. men. Um, you know, it's kind of a safe place to be. The one thing that we we do get, which is the common bond of the love of the sport of whatever program people are traveling on. Mm. So whether it be football, basketball, hockey, baseball, soccer, the people that are traveling all have a passion for that particular sport. And it's really kind of cool to see that once you're on the program. So imagine I am a, uh, a group travel planner, uh, say in my hometown of Lexington, uh, Kentucky, we're big Kentucky Wildcats basketball fans here. Uh, let's say that I had a group that would really love to go see the cats play at some road tournament or, you know, road series or something like that. What do I need to do, uh, to make that happen? Because maybe I have experience, you know, booking a bus and, and, going on a three-day trip, but something, you know, of that level is just so far beyond uh, my experience. What is my first step in putting something like that together? I, you know, obviously calling us. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that would be the first spot. Um, you know, we're, we can pretty much fulfill on anything. Um, the bottom line is gathering the people, number one. So I, that's always the hardest part is how many mm. people are going to possibly go on a program do you already have a following as a group leader um you know is there already a certain niche within your groups that you know so let's say you're 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 a recreation director at a you know a a development area 55 and up development area type thing do you already have people let's say that you know play tennis as -hmm. an example um you know would there be enough people there who might want to go to the u.s open or or go to uh, you know Paravis and Palm Springs. So if you already got an audience, that's a good place to start. Another good place to start is actually to test the waters, and I actually encourage um, group leaders to do this when they call us, because a lot of times people will call us and say, you know, I think we can get fifty people or forty people to do this. Well, thinking you can get fifty people or forty people is different than getting them. So mm. we'll we'll put together a program, sketch it out won't finalize it, won't even finalize pricing it. But we will ask people, if you're interested, put down, this is what we're planning, these are the dates, to put down a fully refundable $200 deposit. We're then going to see how many people are interested and then package the program up. And we're going to get back to you with the final pricing. If you want to continue to go great, the $200 goes towards the package. If you decide not to go the $200 is fully refundable, nothing lost, nothing gained. What it gives you is the availability to know if you've got 100 people who gave you $200, you're probably going to end up with 50 of them with no problem, no matter how much the program is. Yeah. I can anticipate some uh, travel planners saying, you know, I love the idea of taking 
my people to, you know, a bucket list travel, uh, you know, sports experience. But I'm also nervous about the fact that there are going to be 15,000 other people there, you know, because I'm used to, you know, having one motor coach and I'm in charge or the tour director is in charge and it's very self-contained and, you know, we can keep everybody where they need to be and I don't have to worry about so-and-so getting lost. So speak to that person about how you manage a group in the midst of a very large event and how that ends up working out. Well, you know, it depends on really the group. A large event is still a large event, no matter how you slice it. Um, mm. Every, you know, when we run a program with 20 buses, even to a large event with 50,000 people at the in, in Cooperstown, New York, our motor coaches drop off right in front of the Hall of Fame. They pick up right in front of the Hall of Fame. When we go to the induction site, the buses are parked right there at the induction site. So people do still have to walk over to the bus. There may be 50 buses in the parking lot. They still have to find the right bus. Um, so we do try really hard to address those concerns. Um, but people do have to realize it's still a big event and there's still thousands of people there. So there is some congestion. Every event is a little different, obviously, if there are seats. The bigger events, and this is the one area where people would have to be a little bit concerned, is some of the bigger, bigger events, we can't guarantee get, getting you 50 seats altogether. Mm. Um, it may be in twos and fours, but not necessarily 50 altogether. There are other events, you know, let's say one of our baseball road trip programs or uh, the Hall of Fame enshrinements where we can indeed, even though there are larger events with a lot of people, we can put people together in a, in a group seating environment. So if people are worried about those concerns, Brian, that you're bringing up, um, they would need to choose the appropriate program uh, to be able to get people to be a little bit more together in, uh, you know, going into certain um, entrances, parking in certain spots. Every event has its own little nuance to it. So people would have to really, we'd have to help them a little bit to choose the right option. Yeah. So I want to ask a question that we have kind of uh, touched on a little bit, but haven't really um, gotten in deep on the cost of many things, of course, is, you know, is just going up with inflation. But it seems to me that in particular, the cost of high profile sporting events, and high demand travel destinations, those costs for 10 years or more have just been through the roof, you know, going up faster than than so many other things to the point where, you know, things that were accessible to the middle class a generation ago, are all of a sudden much harder, you know, for your average, like you said, factory worker to, to maybe afford. So where do you see that going, you know, certainly today and over the next few years? And is that going to change the calculus for people who are interested in taking a travel package to one of these bucket list sporting events? I think it's going to continue in the same path. And the reason I say that is I'll use Broadway as an example you know, any group leader or any travel company that has taken people to New York, they go to a Broadway show. Well, Broadway shows now are, you know, 150, 200, 250, 300, 350. Mm. Are people wow. going to continue to go to a Broadway show? If they do, because it's a, I'm in New York, I'm not coming back again for 10 years, and I, won't, I haven't been to a Broadway show before, they're going to spend the money. And as long as these seats are filled, and as long as uh, people are paying the price, 
the the venues are going to keep charging them if we if we cut back you know it's an amazing thing that when when covid hit and nobody was going anywhere and everybody was staying at home and nobody was driving to work uh, there is a little wonder why gas all of a sudden was under two dollars a gallon yeah you know so it's 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 a supply you know a lot of this is a supply and demand um i think the problem with a lot of these bigger events which is why for us as a business i'm really very pleased that we we found within the bigger major events like the super bowls the final fours these other smaller niche programs that are not as costly. So you can indeed get a little bit better, better experience, a little bit more bang for your buck. Um, but you're not doing the major, major events. You, you still can experience and have a wonderful quality program. That actually has been a benefit to us because mm. the, the Super Bowls, I, I mean, they're, it's off the charts. You're 100% right. The, the hotels, when these cities get the bid for these big major events, the hotel rates are just, they fly off the charts. The normal, yeah. uh, you know, Marriott that might be, uh, you know, 189 or 219 is now 889 or, oh. or 12. You go to Louisville, Kentucky, you can stay at a, you know, you can get a, a literally a Hampton, a Hampton Inn for four nights and they're going to get, they're going to get 995 a night plus tax, $1,200 a night plus tax. Wow. And as long as people pay it, you know, they're going to charge it. So for that person who, you know, looks at the Super Bowl Rose Bowl price and says, I just can't justify that. But what are some of your favorite sporting events that you would direct them to instead where they're still going to have a great time, but not, you know, having take a second mortgage out on the house to, to be able to afford the trip? Right. Well, the Rose, the Rose Parade itself is actually not that bad. That's actually kind of a fun experience for a once in a lifetime. The Rose Parade is really fun. You don't have to go to the Rose bowl game itself if you don't mm. want to that does add on an extra cost but you can be especially if you're in a cold weather area um getting out to la in you know the end of december january we do have a new year's eve party we've got a lot of other activities we've got a great experience with seeing the the floats being built prior to uh, you can see the floats being taken down afterwards if you'd like to uh we've got catalina island and and one of the studio tours uh, as well. So it's a really a, a kind of a nice event to get away during cold weather if you're in, you know, cold weather places. And yet it's a really fun, exciting event to go see. Yeah. Uh, another another event, which most a lot of people want to go to, it's definitely a bucket list, is the Masters Golf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the Masters Golf is definitely pricey. It's become one of the most pricey programs out there. The ticket badges are just ridiculous. Uh, but the practice rounds are almost as more fun because the players are more up front up close and personal mm. there's not the crowds that are there the badges are much less costly it's same thing with us open as an example us open golf mm. you go to the practice rounds on monday tuesday and wednesday instead of going to the main round starting on thursday through sunday it's that much more enjoyable. You surely can still say you went to U.S. Open or the Masters. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same thing with, you know, U.S. Open tennis or Wimbledon or any of that. They all have practice rounds. Mm. And those are those are really a lot of fun. And some are not just practice rounds. Some of them are actually just the earlier rounds. Mm. And they're just as exciting. You want to go, let's say you're a college basketball fan. Go to one of the, um, you know, the first or second round games in one of the cities that you'd like to go to 
and they're a heck of a lot of fun. They're as exciting as could be. You get more games in actually than just one game. Yeah. And and it's a lot less costly than going to uh, you know going to the final form. Yeah. So those are definitely some avenues that people can still have some fun at major events, but kind of buy down a little bit with the with the early rounds or the practice rounds at some of these things. And even yeah. groups, groups could do that and really those are actually awesome things to do as a group because it is definitely less costly. Hotels are less costly too. So what is the best place for people to connect with you, find you and uh, learn more about working with you? Well, we of course have our 800 number, which is 662-4424. It's 800-662-4424. And uh, our website is um, www, which we all need. Mm-hmm. That's sports, just the way the company sounds, sportstravelandtours.com. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, uh, we have uh, some questions that we ask everybody. These are just for fun. So you can uh, shoot from the hip. Sure. All right. First question is, uh, do you choose a window seat or an aisle seat? Uh, An aisle seat, 100%. Yeah. Why is that? Because I can't sit any longer than two hours at a pop. My lower back (laughs) screams at me. So yeah, I'm a total aisle guy. I'm in fact, I, I, I'll do a window seat if the flight's like an hour. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. So uh, what's something you keep in your carry on that you wouldn't travel without? uh, That's not something obvious like your cell phone. My battery charger. Mm. (laughs) My cell phone charger. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. That's a necessity. So that is totally in my car. I have, um, well, my carry-on, I guess, would be my backpack as well. Um, yeah, I've got my little, I've got an office stash of, if you needed like post-it notes or needed an extra pen or, you know, uh, um, a thing of staples or something of that nature, I'd, I'd have it in my bag. A highlighter. Yeah. I, I have all, yeah, I carry all that stuff. So if you had a free airline pass and a week with nothing else to do, where would you be headed next? I had an airline pass and I had nothing and I, and anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. Holy man. Well, I have on my bucket list right now, my bucket list next place that I'd like to get to is Patagonia. Mm. Um, but if I had to just pick a place that's a place in my heart, I would fly to Alaska. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what time, you know, I, I, for years in my youth, ran camping trips for students up through Alaska, Canadian Rockies in Alaska. And I always saw Alaska for like eight summers in a row in a, in a summertime view. And I had not ever seen it in a wintertime view until NTA had contact there last year. And I went and I did the pre-fam and it was, it was absolutely amazing. And it was March and it was cold, but it was absolutely spectacular. And seeing Alaska with snow-capped mountains and frozen lakes and glacier stuff, it was just amazing. It was very cool. So I'd go back. I'd go to Alaska as the answer. Yeah, no, that's great. So our last question is, what's something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? Oh, man. Who came up with these questions? (laughs) I'm guilty. I did it. Boy, one place that I would go back to with some money I love. Um, I probably would pick to go back to again, and I haven't been in a long time, is I would go back to a place called Homer Spit, which is down at the bottom end of the Kenai Peninsula. 
mm. in Alaska. It's a couple hundred miles from Anchorage. It's a natural sandbar that juts out into Ketchumik Bay. It overlooks the beginning of the Aleutian Mountains on the other side, of the, and it is one of the most scenic, spectacular spots that you'd ever want. As a matter of fact, if you could put me in a tent or a teepee sitting on the end of that spit with a couple of cases of beer or more than that, if I was staying there for a while, I'd be a happy guy. <laughs> so that would be it. Homer Spit, Alaska. Yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, Jay, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. No problem. I appreciate it, Brian. You have a good one. Well, I sure hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Jay Smith as much as I did. And I sure hope that you saw some value in his ideas, his mindset, the way that he looks at his niche, which is sports travel. And maybe you can find some ways to apply that way of thinking to your trips. And uh, in service of that, there are a few things Jay said that I want to mention again, just to make sure you don't miss them, because I think they're really valuable. Jay said when I asked him uh, whether it makes more sense for people to book sports events on their own or to go with a tour operator like him, he said, you can book it on your own or you can book it with us and generally pay the same price. But we do all the work. Now, of course, Jay was talking about sporting events there, but this is a principle that applies really across the board in group tourism. And it's something that we can't emphasize too much. We literally can't emphasize it too much to ourselves and to our customers and to our prospective customers that we're trying to reach. One of the huge value propositions of group travel is that we deliver better experiences and less work on the road, and we can generally do it for about the same amount of money as what people would pay to travel on their own. And sometimes we can do it even more affordably. We need to remember that. We need to make sure that our customers hear that and that uh, that's the message they're hearing. And they're not hearing a message about, you know, oh, you're going to be stuck on a bus with 30 people or you don't get to go where you want or you don't get to set your own itinerary. All those things are negotiable. All those things can be changed. But the fundamental of group travel is that we deliver a better experience at an equal or lesser price without having to do any work. We can't say that too much. Uh, Jay also said about niche specialization, he said, instead of going out and competing head to head with 10 other companies, I'm going to find programs and product that everyone else doesn't offer. Now, again, Jay was talking about uh, taking travelers to sporting events that he does instead of some of the you know major big time events that are very, very crowded and very, very expensive. But again, I think this is a really cool idea that you can apply to whatever you do, you know, whether it's culinary travel or music or history, whatever it is your travelers like, the outdoors, the resorts, you can compete with 10 or a dozen or a hundred other travel companies out there, or you can find something that nobody else is doing and offer a product that people can't get anywhere else except with you and your organization. Now, does it take more work? Now, absolutely. It takes more work. It takes some creativity. It takes uh, the willingness to build some relationships long term to try some things that nobody else has, has tried. And and, you know, you might fail at some of those things. But if you can apply this consistently long term over time, you're going to develop a reputation as the go to organization for the kind of trips that you love to offer. And that is a valuable thing to have. Now, finally, when I asked Jay about uh, putting together trips that are maybe not tried and true yet when he's trying new things, developing new concepts, he said, I'll ask people to put down a fully refundable $200 deposit 
and then package the program up and get back to them with final pricing. He said it gives you the ability to know whether there's really interest in a product. And you know what? I think that is ingenious because if you just talk to people in generalities, if you just ask them questions about, hey, would you like to go to this destination or does this event sound cool to you? Then a lot of people are going to say, yeah, absolutely it does because it doesn't cost anything to say, yeah, it doesn't cost anything to express interest. So if you're building your trips just based on verbal expressions of interest, well, some of those trips might go and that's great, but you might also find yourself spinning your wheels for a long time, putting together something that people aren't interested in enough to actually shell out the money and book. So if you try Jay's philosophy, get them to put down a deposit, that's how you know that the interest level is really there because people aren't going to part with their money, even only a couple hundred dollars, unless they're serious about the trip. So if you get the deposits, then you know it's worth your time to start building the trip. What a great idea there from Jay Smith. All right. Now, I told you at the top of the show that uh, we were going to spend some time today talking about COVID-19. That's right. Today, release date of this episode, March 15th, 2023, is the three-year anniversary of the, uh, well, I don't even know exactly how to put it, the decision that uh, took place in state houses and governor's mansions all around the country, the decision to shut down the economy, to quarantine people in their homes, uh, the decision that would set the course for life in America for at least the next two years. Now, as you can imagine, three years in, we have some perspective that we didn't have back then. Uh, we have a lot of information that nobody had. And I think it's worth taking 60 seconds and having a retrospective about COVID-19 and what happened in the tourism industry because of the pandemic and the decisions that people made surrounding the pandemic. That's going to be the topic of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right. The Hot Minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue that impacts tourism every day. And today we're going to spend 60 seconds talking about COVID-19 and how it impacted us and how it is still impacting our industry. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. COVID and pandemic policies hit the tourism and hospitality industries harder than any other industry. But by and large, we didn't get any more help than anyone else got because of those decisions. We did everything we were asked to do. We shut down, we canceled trips, we refunded money. And then when we did start up again, well, we did temperature checks, wore masks, we got vaccinated, and we asked our customers to do the same. And now, three years later, uh, we have some pretty rigorous academic studies indicating that none of those measures actually did any good in slowing down the virus. Uh, thankfully, business has rebounded. That's great. But it's not enough to make up for the losses that we've suffered over the last three years. The pandemic has passed and we survived. But here's my question. When do we, the tourism industry, get our apology for the ordeal that the world's leaders and their decisions put us through? An apology, after all, is the least that we're due. Unfortunately, though, I'm not holding my breath that it's ever going to come. That is the way I see it. Of course, as always, you are welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, agree, disagree, whatever you're thinking or wondering or feeling, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out to us anytime at podcast at grouptravelleader.com with your questions, comments, ideas. I would love to hear from you. I read every email that comes into that address. 
And hey, you never know. Your thoughts or questions may just be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a huge favor? Would you go to your favorite podcast app? And number one, if you're not following the show there, hit that follow button, hit the subscribe button so that you will get the next episode automatically when it drops. And while you're there, uh, leave us a rating, give us a review. That is a huge help. And I am thankful to everyone who has done that. My thanks as well to Jay Smith for joining us today on the next episode of Gather and Go. I'm going to bring you a really cool conversation with Diana Heckler of D Tours Travel. She is a longtime travel advisor who has developed a real specialty in finding some extraordinary travel experiences. She's literally wrote a book about how to deliver great experiences to your customers. So don't miss it. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of The Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.